Hello and welcome back to PC Debrief. This week we will be sinking our teeth into Avengers Endgame, the final piece of Marvel Phase 3. This episode will be full of spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, go have a watch and then come join us again. Now, let's tuck in. We're in very much spoiler territory now, because, yeah, a, a, a very different to what everybody was expecting from it. One of my biggest takeaways from the beginning of the film was, oh, they've killed, they've killed Thanos. That's what it felt like the whole film was going to be. They kill Thanos and they take the stones back. And the fact that it's not that is very brave. The, the, the way they have implemented it has problems, but the Russos have shown that they are consistently able to take audience expectations and completely do something entirely different that nobody saw coming. So it's a time heist. That's a really cool twist. I don't think I would have expected that. Great little reference from, from Ant-Man there. And of course, he's going to be the one to say it because... He's a big nerd, and he, his heists are sort of his thing. He, he loves a good heist. So that, that was a, a cool little cool little thing. Uh, and the, the safe option, which was the film, what the film was in the first, what, like 10 minutes of Thanos being killed, would have been the safe way of doing this film, of just, oh, it's, it's Thanos, and they have to track him down, and they have to spend the whole film doing that. If they didn't do that, was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I liked it. I did find that it jumped around a lot at the start, which was quite off-putting. Like, the scene with Hawkeye could have been in the last film. I find it really weird how much of this film Hawkeye spent wet. He was just damp a lot, wasn't he? He was. I think the reason for putting the Hawkeye scene at the start is to set the tone for the rest of the film. Because basically, up until the point where the time heist starts properly... The whole film's very bleak. It's the first time I think that really the MCU's got proper angsty. All the characters are miserable. The opening scene, everybody isn't like pumped up to kill Thanos. They're it's like obligation at that point. They're only really motivated to do it because Captain Marvel's sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm, off, I'm going, going off to do it. They're like, oh, I, I suppose we should probably help her out. Could have done it on her own, but that's a different point. But it was nice to see that they commit to like, everything being very grounded, very close. Lots of dialogue scenes, which was great. I really like the cap scene where he's talking to all the people about moving on and loss. The beginning of the film very much feels like it's showing how people deal with grief and loss. And it sort of worked, especially on something like the mass scale that happened. It was one of my sort of favorite, like best acted moments of the film for me was um, Scott Lang coming home to Cassie. It was a really simple scene, very well done. I think the shot changed maybe twice once he'd seen her. It was very obvious that sort of he'd zeroed in on like, she's okay, this is the most, this is the biggest priority for him. But it was it was really nice to see um, Scott Lang in that context because we're not shown that very often. Um, and it was, I think very important for this film to show sort of his motivation to bring other people back was because he'd been the one that was gone, if that makes sense. Um, it's difficult to say the motivation for the other characters because like you said, they all just seem to be sort of kicked into it by Captain Marvel being like, well, I'm going to do it whether you help me or not. Um, but definitely, especially when you draw the parallels between sort of Scott Lang and Cassie and uh, Tony Stark and Morgan, um, it's it's a very clear line of like Scott's doing it to bring back the people because he saw like how how much it affected Cassie when he came back, and Tony Stark is so reluctant to do it because of the potential of Morgan not coming back or him not seeing her again. With nitpicking, 
I think we could go all day on the problems with the film because they decided to introduce time travel into this universe. It was definitely a problem that they sort of tried to manage in the dialogue scene with um, Bruce and uh, Scott and Rhodey, the sort of movie references and being like, actually, no, time doesn't work like that. Although to an extent it does, but it doesn't. But the rules were so sort of vague in this sort of iteration of the time travel film that it didn't really work. It raised more questions than it answered and it seemed very sort of changeable so bruce goes off on one about um you know time doesn't work like that if you go to the past the past then becomes your present presumably because you're seeing it from your own perspective like if i was to go back to yesterday yesterday would just be today for me but it still raises the question of like if you alter those events they do then happen in a different way but apparently that's fine as long as you put the stone back even though sort of loki managed to escape with the tesseract and that was never really dealt with that I think that's just a clever ploy for his TV series. I think so. I love that Loki got a TV series as well, but it's just, I, I don't know, there are a lot of things that sort of, they established this slightly weird, slightly changeable set of rules and then frequently broke those rules, but then never addressed it. I mean, like, just looking at Steve Rogers' timeline now, there are some iffy moments. So I spent a lot of time after we watched it trying to work out the sort of chronology of Steve Rogers now. His timeline is very muddled. And the only thing I can work out is that he's thrown himself into some sort of awful time loop where he's just destined to repeat sort of everything from the events of the first Captain America all the way up to Endgame and then start again. Because if, if you look at it from Bruce's rules, right, going back into your past doesn't change your future or your present or however you want to look at it. Presumably, him going back into the past, Steve Rogers is actually the husband that they alluded to in uh, Peggy's death scene which is I think from Winter Soldier he goes to visit her in the hospital and she says like I had a husband he treated me right we like had a good life had kids all that kind of stuff and presumably that's now Steve so at some point Steve has got to have worked out that like he remembers being a young man going to see Peggy on the day she dies so he has to be like 10 minutes before his younger self arrives he's like I'm just gonna nip out a second you've got a visitor and i don't think he's gonna want to see me so i'm just gonna just gonna hop out just gonna switch out all these photos of old you and me to a picture of young me so i don't work out that i'm your husband like there's gotta have been like some kind of weird like there's so many things about that that little timeline of just steve rogers and peggy carter now that makes no sense including the fact that he made out with his own niece a lot of issues with steve rogers i don't like the way that they wrapped up his timeline i know that chris evans contract was up and they had to find a comfortable way of sort of wrapping everything up in a satisfactory way where like we feel like Captain America's had a good run, you know, time to hand it over to the Falcon. Like I'm more than happy about that as well. I really like that that's who they chose to pass it on to. But it just raises so many questions now. There's many questions for what's going to happen afterwards as well. So, okay, so Spider-Man and all of his friends all happened to get snapped because they're all in the same class for the next year at school. But what's gonna happen with the year he's in? Because some of his other classmates are gonna be five years older. Is he going to get moved on five years or does he get held back five years? There's, like, there's, there's people that have existed who are going to still be at that school, but they're going to be much older. This film was like jam-packed full of references to lots of films. But the one that really weirded me out was Tony Stark referring to Thor as the Big Lebowski. J- just because that that's a film starring Jeff Bridges 
who plays Obadiah Stane in Iron Man 1. So you've got some weird interconnectedness within these films, and I, like, no, Jeff Bridges being mentioned in this film makes me so uncomfortable. It's, it is quite interesting now that, like, there's a sort of a question as to whether or not Jeff Bridges exists in the MCU. I do want to talk about the production value of this film. There are some genuinely really epic scenes and some beautifully choreographed fight scenes. There are some questionable moments in the fight scenes, but overall, the choreography of actual battle is really, really impressive this time around. I mean, the Russos have proven that they know how to direct action, and that's a really important thing for an action film franchise. That final fight with Thanos and the three-on-one is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I want to give a shout out to that fight in particular because I think that's one of the best fights the MCU has had, period. It's all perfectly choreographed, everything moves really smoothly, and there's so many little callbacks in action that are really good because it's the three characters that had a little tussle in the first Avengers and they're, they're using like techniques that they discovered in that fight against each other. Thor deliberately zaps Iron Man and he uses that as a huge power surge for a huge blast. They do the Mjolnir bashing Captain America's shield a couple times to do a quick shockwave that stumbles Thanos that they then use to knock it up. Really great little series of events and there's like a really good narrative for the fight which is in my mind what makes a good fight. It is kind of Thanos against the three people that he's hurt the most. Iron Man, ever since, like, what, Age of Ultron has been feeling massively responsible for everything that could possibly happen to the Avengers, to the point where he, during Civil War, he he was on the side of being regulated because it felt safer. So it's kind of like those three guys are the sort of epitome of everybody that Thanos has hurt. You've obviously got other people like um, Drax, who lost his whole family, and you've got... Um, Hawkeye, who also lost his whole family, but that's very specific to sort of recent Thanos, if that makes sense. That fight was a really, really nice way to sort of end Thanos with like those three sort of big heavy hitters who represent everybody else that's also fighting. Um, Would have been nice to have a girl in the fight, like Captain Marvel swing by or something. There's not a lot of sort of female hero representation, so I understand their options were limited but they kind of also chose to kill off the only female original Avenger and just make it like a bunch of five guys, like five white guys going off to fight the world. Like, come on. I mean, they they work in the feminist moment later on in the uh, big battle. Yeah, when Spider-Man's cowering on the floor and every female hero they could get their hands on suddenly appeared quite conveniently in front of him. It was a nice moment to showcase that, yes, they do have female heroes and there are sort of feminine role models in there, but like... It felt really forced. It was just a little bit disappointing. It felt almost like someone from DC had inspired them to do this, because it's like, oh, maybe we can do an A-team movie. We'll just tease it right here in this battle. That whole ending sequence is just almost non-stop. Cool moment, cool moment, cool moment. And it's, it resembles like those huge double splash pages from those big crossover comics of just all action and everything happening all at once. You've got like crazy people with red blasts and magic suits of super tech and a lady flying on a Pegasus all in one frame. You know, it's just incredible. Speaking of good moments for female characters, great to see Scarlet Witch kick ass. She's such a powerful character within the comic books and we haven't really seen her true power and for her to basically kick Thanos's ass only to be stopped by him going, let's go homicidal and shoot. 
everyone. It was really, really cool to see that sort of moment of panic come from the person that Thanos probably crushed the hardest in Infinity War. It was really cool to see some like throwbacks to like the MCU's greatest hits moments. I do want to talk about sort of callbacks that are revamped for Endgame. So we've seen a lot of sort of moments of power from Thor where Mjolnir has come out of nowhere. Like right at the beginning of Ragnarok, Mjolnir is the thing that sort of appears slightly mistimed, but it appears and sort of breaks him out of everything. And it's always been like Thor's sort of power move has just been to summon Mjolnir. It's how he tests Captain Marvel. It's a thing that he keeps coming back to. It was really, really cool to see Captain America pick up the pick up the hammer. It was it was a nice moment as well to have the like, no, 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 you take the little one. This is this is mine. Like I think he seemingly keeps the little one forever. Yeah, that was that's, I have an issue with that. The fact that like he handed off the shield, uh, the shields to Sam, but seemingly kept Mjolnir. I reckon it's just on his mantelpiece. The grandkids come over. It's like, what? What's that? It's, it's a weapon from from wielded by a literal god. But there were some callbacks that I kind of expected to see that we didn't see. Specifically, Hulk rage. Yeah, that was really lacking in this film. I know he's Professor Hulk now, and like he's got the best of both worlds. He's got the brains and the strength of Hulk. But one of Hulk's main strength is his. Rage, he just kind of is a berserker. You send him in and he rages and hits stuff. And he's just kind of been a bit useless as Professor Hulk. He made mistakes when he tried to fix the time machine. He was somewhat sad when that died and threw a chair into a river. That like that's the perfect time to actually rage and then have some revenge on Thanos. When they brought him back and we weren't still seeing him struggle between Banner and Hulk. I thought, you know, he's found his sort of happy place between Jekyll and Hyde. He's got the best of both worlds, you know. I thought it was going to be more sort of, he would use the Hulk more as a tool. But he was still in the Hulkbuster suit at one point. And I also don't understand the moment where they're in the, the battle of New York and he's sort of half-heartedly trying to Hulk out, but like, just sort of knocks over a bike and then sort of tosses a bench over there. Like, it doesn't, I don't understand what he was trying to do. Was he trying to blend in and look like he was the actual Hulk so that no one would realize? Like, yeah, I get that the big green dude is kind of difficult to hide, but in that case, like, don't send him back to where he's gonna be. Send him somewhere else with somebody else. Send him off with Rocket to go do the thing in Asgard, like, and then, Thor wouldn't have had his heart to heart with Frigga, yeah, sure. But Thor also wouldn't have been like completely useless. Even if the Hulk just sort of went with him and Thor, because the Hulk is the one that's been having this heart to heart with Thor to get him back onto side anyway. Like it would have made more sense if he'd gone with him and sort of also coached him through that moment of panic instead of just having Rocket slap him for like a moment of like half-hearted slapstick comedy. So speaking of the pair that went to Asgard, you got Thor and Rocket. It's again nice to see that pairing uh, come back up. Obviously they were together for much of Infinity War. So cool to see those two sort of bounce back and like the, where they've come from in the intervening time, five years and how you know, Rocket's a little bit more sort of, you know, straight-laced. He's not quite so jokey as he was and Thor's a complete alcoholic wreck. I mean, I'm always happy to see more Rocket. That was like a really interesting pairing. It's interesting that they sent those two together. Not 100% sure as to why. I guess maybe Rocket built the little uh, injecty thing. So he's the only one that knows how to use it. So they're like, well, you've got to go back and well, it's Thor's 
home, so he probably knows his way around, so we'll send those two together. Uh, War Machine and Nebula was interesting. Uh, you didn't really get to see a lot of them, but it was nice to see that those two characters who haven't really gotten that much time on their own, because of obviously the snap, there's not that many heroes left. So those two put together, and you get that really interesting little exchange of, you know, uh, Nebula's angst about her being a cyborg, and then one machine's like, "Yeah, I'm, I know how. I know. I know the feeling." And it's like, "Oh, that was a nice little touch." I see why they. I don't know why it's like, "You cyborgs, you go and fetch the things." So yeah, that was a nice little pairing. Uh, obviously, you've got Clint and Nat together. That whole scene's very. Um, I, I like. I like that. That was well done. Uh, it's very much a sort of logical progression of their two little tussle up that you again you saw in the, in the first Avengers film. Um, that whole scene's really sort of like, whew, that's a bit of a gut punch there. Um, and obviously the uh, New York team was really interesting. Uh, Cap and Iron Man going back in time, you know, lots of really cool stuff happened in there with the little Hank Ping reference. Um, but that was, that was a good one. Um, I liked seeing those two interact. I liked Hulk and the Sorceress Supreme. That was good. Yeah, just, just interesting ways that they sort of decided to pair off these remaining Avengers. I feel like this is a film that we could literally talk about for hours and no one wants to listen to that. So I want to know what everybody's sort of best moment of the film was and then we'll wrap up, I think. I mean, Rocket is by far my favourite MCU character by a long way. So I loved that he got so much looking in this film. Uh, Rocket's such a weird, out there character that the fact that he's one of the major focuses of this film is so bizarre. And it's amazing that the Russo brothers were just like, yeah, we'll put loads of Rocket in it. It's fine. He didn't get snapped. Two particular favourite Rocket interactions. Uh, I loved it when he, he's talking to Ant-Man and he, and he calls him a puppy. He pets him on the head. So that, 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 was, that was great. Felt, felt very Rocket. And the scene where he's helping to build the time machine. And he turns to, to Tony and goes, you're only a genius on Earth, boy. It's like, oh, we get to see a little bit more of the engineering aspect of Rocket that we don't really see very much. Because Rocket's meant to be an engineering genius. We just haven't really seen a whole lot of it um, in any of the films he's in. It's like, yeah, he's a, he's basically Space Iron Man, who's also a raccoon. That's fair. I do, I do really like Rocket, but I can't think of any moment better than Korg in his pineapple jumpsuit on on the on the games console. It was it was so like I love Taika Waititi anyway because Taika wears the the pineapple jumpsuit to like red carpet events and stuff. It's very sort of specific to him, and then just like bringing in that little bit of like proper New Zealand humor into like a scene that's already like sort of slightly weird and uncomfortable because you're not entirely sure if you're supposed to laugh at Thor or just feel really bad for him. Like it was just it was it was so nice to have that sort of moment of just like full Taika Waititi humor brought back, just for that little sort of blip. I do question why they didn't bring Korg like to the rest of the fight, but like maybe he was busy with Noob Master. Like we don't we don't know. I have to. My favorite thing from this film was just Ronan. I I really enjoyed Hawkeye's character development, and he's a badass character now. He gets a lot of hate from Marvel fans for just being a bit useless. I thought he should have died in Age of Ultron, but he was really awesome in this film. And the only real mistake he made was handing the gauntlet over to Nebula. But that, that, that that's a really easy mistake to make. He had, to be fair, just run away from big scary aliens and was very damp. Yeah, I mean, like, at this point, he's gotta just 
like have too much water in his ears or something like you know he's struggled with being damp throughout this whole film it's understandable that he got the wrong robot lady he got blown up made damp and then got chased down a corridor by a bunch of aliens that he single-handedly fought off i have to admit this makes me very excited for the possibility of a ronin series that would be really cool kind of john wick style badassery just taking place in those five years so what was your favorite moment of endgame how did your favourite character do within the movie? How do you feel about Cap's ending? Or even Tony's? Drop us a message on Anchor with your thoughts, or maybe even tweet us at the underscore tasty. That's all we have time for this week. Look out for our weekly Game of Thrones episodes. Thank you for listening, and we shall see you again soon. Jerf Burgers.